Today we're dealing with something that we never imagined and is unimaginable. Since the last update, we have gotten better access to the building. We have cleared the building. And it is with great sadness that I share we have not 20 but 50 casualties. In addition to the shooter, there are another 53 that are hospitalized. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer, one year ago, with the update that rocked us and rocked the world. Good morning, Orlando, at 6 o'clock. Time for Orlando's news, weather, and traffic here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And of course, our top stories this morning marking the one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre and AG Sessions will testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. And we will look back and we will look ahead on all things related to the aftermath of the Pulse nightclub massacre threaded throughout all three hours of Good Morning Orlando. Good Monday morning at 6.02 on News Radio 102.5. It has been one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando that killed 49 people and wounded dozens more. Patience Carter is one of the many who witnessed the horrific attack. My face was looking into the other stall, and I could see piles of bodies laying over the toilet seat and slumped over, and the bottom of the toilet was just covered with handprints and blood. And when I looked back the other way, I could just see other people like piled behind me just but some were dead and some were just moaning in like pain. Orlando police shot and killed the gunman who had pledged his allegiance to ISIS during 911 calls after a three-hour standoff. Today is officially designated as Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. A private ceremony was set for earlier this morning at the scene of the shooting. It was uh, private for only the families and survivors where they read all 49 names. And public ceremonies will be held at 11 o'clock this morning and 10 o'clock tonight. It remains the deadliest shooting in U.S. history. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. However, a special visit could have some 911 dispatchers feeling better. Dogs from animal-assisted crisis response yesterday visited dispatchers who handled the deadly workplace shooting at Fiamma in Orange County two weeks ago. Some of those same dispatchers also handled calls the night of the Pulse nightclub shooting. One dispatcher says the visit was a reminder that there is still some good in the world. Residents in Brevard County are being urged to arm themselves for war. Sheriff Wayne Ivey posted a video on Facebook last week asking residents to carry a gun or a taser. If you have a concealed carry permit, then carry your gun with you at all times possible. The video was posted after that deadly workplace shooting in Orange County and the terrorism attacks in London. Almost 350,000 people have watched the video where Ivy says this is war and now is the time to be prepared to serve as the first line of defense. And we will hear more from the controversial video. I think that uh, Sheriff um, Ivy was courageous and I think he's right on the money. And there is much um, that we need to focus on. And we'll do that with the Wayne Ivy video in the 8 o'clock hour this morning on our special one-year March of the uh, Pulse nightclub massacre, Deb. That'll be coming up at 8. All right. Well, in the meantime, in other news, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is set to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee this week. In a letter Saturday, Sessions says the Senate Committee is, quote, the most appropriate forum for questions involving the Russia investigation. He's expected to answer questions Tuesday uh, pertaining to former 
questions Tuesday pertaining to former FBI Director James Comey's testimony. Sessions was originally scheduled to appear before the House and Senate Appropriations Subcommittees on that very same day. Delta Airlines, this is a story, uh, an update I know that you had done last week, but Delta Airlines is pulling its sponsorship from New York's The Public Theater over their staging of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Oh, yes. Yeah, whose central character resembles President Trump. The Caesar character looks like the president throughout the production, including the famous moment of Caesar's murder. Delta announced that it was dropping its support of the public theater on Twitter, saying the free Shakespeare in the park staging of Julius Caesar doesn't reflect its values. It added that the artistic and creative direction, quote, crossed the line on the standards of good taste, end quote. Makes me want to book a Delta flight. I wish we had more corporate citizens who would stand up in that regard. I knew that story that would make you happy. way, way beyond the pale what happened there. And finally, speaking of the president, President Trump's wife and son are officially living at the White House. First Lady Melania Trump and son Barron made the move from New York Sunday. The two decided to continue living in Trump Tower in New York while 11-year-old Barron finished his school year. Barron, by the way, is the first boy to live in the White House since John F. Kennedy Jr. in 1963. I hadn't thought about that. It's been all girls. It has. I hadn't thought of it either. And when I saw that line, I was like, that's that's right. Melania tweeted that uh, she's really looking forward to making a home for the family in the White House. And it was good to to see her put that out there. So good there to we have go. the family together. Yep. WFLA News Time at 606. This is one Orlando United Day. So you can read about one blood still strong, still united and still the one blood drive happening all over Central Florida today. You can get the details right now at 1025wfla.com. The first hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando. Remembering Pulse. Deb, I'm, uh, I'm thinking back on our special coverage because it was a Sunday morning in the wake of the Saturday night uh, at, at the Pulse nightclub. It was just unforgettable, totally surreal, but of course all too real. And we were here covering it together. And it is it not hard to imagine that one year has now gone by? Yeah, especially when I listened to that press conference with Mayor Buddy Dyer where he announced the death toll and... Um it was probably, it, what, well, without a doubt, one of the hardest days of my career ever. Yeah, and the hardest day for everybody in this business, but everybody, of course, who's on the other end of a radio or a television yeah. set as well. Yaffe, and I'm sure you feel that it, to this day. It's one of those things you don't think will ever happen right. in your city, and then, and right. then it happens. And it's just, you know, but at the same time, I've been so proud of our city, how we've come together, how we've... You know, Orlando Strong wasn't just something we used in the days and the weeks after the attack, but it really has come to create a sense of community for us. So out of all of that tragedy, uh, we we became closer together. I know a lot of times last year, people who you didn't have to be involved in it, in the media or a survivor or a victim, everyone was sad. Yeah, we will explore um, how the city has been changed, whether or not it is as 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 a lot of folks would like to believe, a changed city, a more united city. We're also going to focus on the motives of the killer, which I believe have largely been distorted. That's my opinion. We'll talk about that. We're going to bring on um, some very, very special guests as well. What we have here is basically a one-topic show, but don't worry. It's from many, many angles, and we will, of course, welcome your phone calls 
and your text messages. And we will be bringing you the other news of the day locally and nationally as well and headlines throughout the show. And when Deb is back with more news at the top and the bottom of the hour in Good Morning Orlando and whenever it breaks. We'll look at some of what will happen today and we will hear from some very prominent voices from that darkest of days for Orlando and in many ways for this country in so many years. Um, and stay tuned on that. 407-916-5400 is my number. If you have remembrances of Pulse or, or thoughts on the one-year observances, and uh, our text line, 23680. We'll have this for you. Uh, we'll get started in a moment. We'll have that in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic updated in only two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Our officer uh, engaged in a gun battle with that suspect. Our SWAT team rescued uh, at least 30 possible victims and brought them, brought them to safety. Orlando Police Chief John Mina from one year ago, and he will be with us live at 8.40 this morning with his perspectives on the Pulse nightclub massacre and his thinking then, his thinking now, and how it has impacted his department and police work here in Central Florida. Um, You know, one of the most remarkable moments will occur today at noon here, and a day that is just replete with one observance after another, marking the first anniversary of the worst mass shooting in recent American history, the Pulse nightclub attack, a radical Islamic terrorist attack by all measures, at least as I see it, and I've felt that way since day one, and I feel that way today. There are many who are trying to minimize that and maximize this as being a hate crime against the gay community. Um, And we'll get into that controversy along the way. But you know what? The gay community has been somewhat estranged from a lot of Christian churches, particularly a lot of conservative Christian churches. But I can tell you there will be a moment of extraordinary and unique unity uh, here at high noon today. Listen for it if you're in the city of Orlando Local churches reportedly have arranged for church bells to ring simultaneously from steeples all over Orlando 49 times, once for each victim, at noon today. Wow, the very thought of that. Church bells will toll throughout the Orlando area, and um, there will be four church services associated with remembering the victims of Pulse, And uh, there was already one at the Pulse nightclub on South Orange Avenue. Um, And and there will be others today. First one was closed to the public at the club. And um, it it overlapped with the exact time that Omar Mateen began firing those shots uh, about uh, 2 a.m. on June 12th a year ago. And then a midday service at the uh, Pulse nightclub, an evening gathering in the heart of downtown Orlando, a final music-filled late-night service being held at the nightclub We'll get into some of the um, uh, we'll get into some of the other observances here on what is being billed as Orlando United Day. Let's listen to President Obama addressing the nation from the White House the morning of the Pulse nightclub attack. Today, as Americans, we grieve the brutal murder, a horrific massacre of dozens of innocent people. We pray for their families who are grasping for answers with broken hearts. We stand with the people of Orlando who have endured a 
terrible attack on their city. Although it's still early in the investigation, we know enough to say that this was an act of terror and an act of hate. And as Americans, we are united in grief, in outrage, and in resolve to defend our people. Then President Obama reacting to the Pulse nightclub attack one year ago. In a moment, you will hear from then-candidate Donald Trump um, with a few things that he said and also an extraordinary moment in tribute to the victims of the Pulse nightclub as they stopped the Orlando City soccer team in the game, right in the middle of the game in the 49th minute. Remember that? We'll recall it for you. We've given you some of our indelible memories here. We'd like to know yours as you look back on Orlando's darkest day. 407-916-5400. This is what I'm interested in now. We'll take this from a number of angles. I'll be asking you to react to various things that we get into Pulse nightclub massacre related throughout the three hours. But right now, I'd like to know your thoughts. Your thoughts then, your thoughts a year later, your indelible memories, as I say, of clearly Orlando's darkest day in its long history. 407-916-5400. Text line available to you as well. Please use them. Uh, 23680. We'd like to hear from you. I am sure you have something on your mind and heart and something you would like to express. That is why we are here. And this is the biggest threat our country now faces in terrorism, is the homegrown violent extremist. An individual like this, born in New York, raised in the United States, a U.S. citizen, living among us freely, and before he reaches the age of 30, becomes radicalized and inspired to take action. That's um, Florida Senator Marco Rubio reacting to the Pulse nightclub attack one year ago and absolutely nailing it, calling it right off the top what it clearly, in my mind, was and always will be, a radical Islamic terrorist attack, the worst on American soil since September 11th, 2001. Um, I have a copy of the Orlando Sentinel from one year ago looking at the headline of the most prominent story, and it says, Pulse shooter Mateen pledged allegiance to Islamic State. That's ISIS. He did so in a 911 call during the attack, which you will hear later, and also expressed support for the Sarnayev brothers, the Islamic terrorists who engineered the Boston Marathon bombings. No record of Mateen making any anti-gay comments in association with the Pulse nightclub attack. Yes, he did attack a gay nightclub, but maybe that was just because he had been there before and he knew the layout. Not because he was committed to killing gay people especially. Remember, he reportedly also considered committing mass murder at the Disney Springs shopping complex. Hardly a place to stage an attack if you want to maximize the number of gay people you kill. We'll get into that angle uh, and how all of the terrorism uh, aspects of this, which should dominate the story of the Pulse nightclub massacre, have been suppressed by the media that has given prominence to the plight of the LGBT community and those among the gay community who were killed. And that is certainly a story that needs to be told, but I believe the media, for political reasons, is distorting the real story of Pulse. We'll get into it. President Trump, well, he was then candidate Trump, spoke the morning of the uh, Pulse nightclub attack and had no hesitation whatsoever in calling this a radical Islamic terrorist attack. Here he is. Today, there is only one thing to discuss, 
the growing threat of terrorism inside of our borders. The attack on the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, was the worst terrorist strike on our soil since September 11th and the worst mass shooting in our country's history. And then uh, candidate Trump placed the emphasis on the victims. The horror is beyond description. The families of these wonderful people are totally devastated, and they will be forever. Likewise, our whole nation, and indeed, the whole world is devastated. We express our deepest sympathies to the victims, the wounded, and their families. We mourn as one people for our nation's loss and pledge our support to any and all who need it. I would like to ask now that we all observe a moment of silence for the victims of this attack. Then candidate Donald Trump reacting to the Pulse nightclub massacre one year ago with what I thought were powerful and appropriate and compassionate comments. Regardless of what you think of this president, and he continues to be polarizing, as we know, I think you have to grant him that. It was absolutely the right tone to strike. And do you remember this compelling moment several days after the Pulse nightclub attack locally when Orlando City soccer team held its first home game in its stadium after the Pulse nightclub massacre? Play was stopped at the 49th minute to honor the 49 killed. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in a moment of silence to honor the 49 victims who lost their lives and 53 injured during last weekend's tragic events. And the Orlando City Soccer Club will participate in the city's Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness today by opening the doors to its stadium downtown from 10 o'clock until 5 in the afternoon. If you want to drop by and pay tribute to the victims at the venue's 49 rainbow colored seats. They're also going to have Orlando United t-shirts, scarves, socks for sale today. Proceeds all going uh, to the Central Florida Foundation's Better Together Fund. There is a largely media-driven narrative out there that the Pulse nightclub attack, what a horror it was, and I would never debate that with you, has changed and united Orlando. Has it really? Let's talk about it, and please offer your indelible memories of one year ago and your thoughts one year later, the aftermath of the worst mass murder in modern American history here in our fair city. It's all ahead in our special edition of Good Morning Orlando with Deborah Roberts coming up. Stay tuned on that. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. One year later, we bring you this special edition of Good Morning Orlando. Deb, I'm looking back at the Orlando Sentinel from one year ago and the big headline on the front page, uh, Our Community will heal, and those hopes persist here 
on the one-year anniversary, don't they? Absolutely. In fact, those affected by the Pulse nightclub shooting, Bud, hope today is more about healing than mourning. Today is officially designated as Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. Ceremonies will be held throughout uh, the Orlando area to mark the anniversary of the shooting that killed 49 people. A private ceremony was held uh, earlier this morning at the scene of the shooting for survivors and victims' families. Public ceremonies will be held at 11 o'clock this morning and 10 o'clock tonight. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. And that's not all. In fact, Uber is going to be offering free rides today, up to $15 each to and from the Orlando Love Remembering Our Angels ceremony. That's going to take place at Lake Eola at 7 p.m. And the Public Community Gathering Moments of Hope and Healing ceremony, that's going to take place at the Pulse Nightclub site at 10 p.m. The Uber promo code, which is United Day, one word, for the free rides will be available beginning at 5 p.m. and will end at 2 a.m. Tuesday, June 13th. So kudos to Uber. You're not kidding. And I also saw this morning that um, Sunrail is adding some extra trains to accommodate demand for these events, and uh, and um, and and the bus line will be um, will be running some extra uh, schedule. That's right. Because yeah. it's you know. Orlando United Day. They're all Mm -hmm. reaching out to each other. In the meantime, supporters of LGBT rights marched and rallied in the nation's capital and dozens of other U.S. cities on Sunday, celebrating gains but angry over threats posed by President Trump's administration. Activists have been embittered by the Trump administration's rollback of federal guidance advising school districts to let transgender students use the bathrooms and locker rooms of their choice. They also complained that Trump, who campaigned as the potential ally of gays and lesbians, has stocked his administration with foes of LGBT rights, including Vice President Mike Pence, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price. The roughly 100 marches and rallies across the U.S. included the first ever gay pride parade in Gross Point, a prosperous Detroit suburb. In other news, and back closer to home, it took them two months in regular session and a three-day special session, but House Speaker Richard Corcoran says the Florida legislature got a lot done during the sessions of 2017. We're having a tremendous, if you put them all together, the special session, the regular session, it's a, it's a landmark year. Governor Rick Scott says they did a lot of good for the people of Florida, and he can't wait to spread the word. This is a real win for all of our families in our state. I'm going to be proud to brag about uh, what we've accomplished this year all around the state. Along with the supplemental budget, lawmakers also passed a medical marijuana law, and the governor says he'll sign it. We'll have more on that subject at 7 o'clock. You can get these stories and more at 1025WFLA.com, but the first hour of Good Morning Orlando continues now. And we'll get back to continuing the focus on the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre here in Orlando. And I'll be taking your calls and your text messages on your indelible memories from a year ago and how you're feeling this morning. 407-916-5400 on the phone, text line 23680. But first of all, we want to give you our uh, Bloomberg Business Report, as we always do at this hour, actually brought to us by Gina Cervetti, who is live in the Bloomberg Newsroom in New York City. Good morning to you, Gina. Bud, good morning. Let's talk about the stock futures here, and there's been a global tech stock route. What's going on Mm -hmm. there? We have a sell-off in U.S. tech stocks. That's dragging down shares uh, globally. It all began Friday, hitting U.S. tech giants known collectively as FANG. That's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google parent Alphabet. It appeared to be triggered by a Goldman Sachs note warning that low volatility in that sector may be blinding investors to risks. Uh, Tech shares have been surging recently, so not a whole lot of volatility there, but bringing lots of returns to investors. However, on Friday, that started to 
uh, pull back some. So we had the NASDAQ down almost 2% on Friday, but the Dow inched a little bit higher. In fact, it edged to a new record. It rose four-tenths percent to 21,272. The S&P was down a couple of points to 2432 on Friday. And um, folks who are wondering whether or not we're going to see continued interest rate hikes. Bloomberg helps us to get a handle on some expert thinking in that regard, right, Gina? Mm -hmm. The Fed will raise rates twice more this year and start shrinking its balance sheet before year's end, despite a clear downturn in the outlook for inflation. This is all according to economists surveyed by Bloomberg. They expect a rate increase at the end of the Fed's two-day meeting on Wednesday of this week and in another one in September, followed by the start of the balance sheet unwinding in the fourth quarter. The economists had previously forecast interest rate hikes of June and December. So what the economist uh, surveyed by Bloomberg are saying is that second one is going to come sooner than what uh, was previously believed. Well, there you go. And another retailer, Gina, having trouble economically? Mm -hmm. What's going on? It's Gymboree. The children's clothing chain has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, becoming the latest to struggle under the onslaught of Internet shopping. Gymboree says it will operate its business in the majority of its stores during the financial restructuring. It operates 1,200 stores across the country, including several in the greater Orlando area. All right. And also, uh, we were talking about Uber, um, you know, the um, the ride, uh, the ride sharing uh, cab company that is so successful offering free rides here for folks who want to come to some of these events marking in Orlando, the first anniversary of the Pulse Massacre. Um, Uber is in the news from Bloomberg's perspective in an entirely different way. What can you tell us? Well, from a corporate standpoint, they've been uh, struggling with some uh, various things uh, internally amongst uh, their employees. And uh, after a Sunday meeting, Bud, that lasted more than six hours, a representative of the board there says directors approved several changes. We don't have clarity on the fate of CEO Travis Kalanick, uh, but the board approved all recommendations from an investigation that it commissioned, led by former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, whose law firm and a separate probe were provoked by allegations of sexual harassment from a former employee. So we're expected to learn more mm -hmm. about what those changes are coming up this week. Before you go, Gina, can you give us about 30 seconds on what Microsoft is up to in the gaming industry? Yes, they've announced a worldwide release date of November 7th for what they say will be the smallest and most powerful video game machine ever, the Xbox One X. It's priced at $499. It's aimed at high-end gamers. Now, initial sales for the Xbox One when it debuted in 2013 were hurt by the $499 price tag seen as a little bit too high, and they only picked up after the cost was cut. So we'll have to see if the $499 price tag on this new one stands. Well, very interesting as always. Great to have you with us, Gina, with the Bloomberg Business Report live from the Big Apple. We'll catch you tomorrow morning at the same time. All right, bud. Thank you. You bet. This is, of course, Orlando United Day, marking the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre, where 49 innocent people were slaughtered and more than 50 wounded, some of them grievously, at the Pulse nightclub on South Orange Avenue in the city. Um, this is Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. And there are many wonderful and totally appropriate events that will be going on all day long. Deb and I will have more on them for you. But my question in this half hour of our special Pulse-focused edition of Good Morning Orlando is, has the Pulse massacre really changed and united Orlando as many in the media want you to believe? Is that true or is that just fantasy and wishful thinking? My take and yours 
and your thoughts on the Pulse nightclub massacre as you look back one year to Orlando's darkest day. What are you thinking this morning? 407-916-5400, text line 23680. We'll talk to the smartest audience, and I think the most compassionate as well, in all of talk radio next. That and Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in two minutes here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Everybody was rushing into the bathroom stall. Everyone was rushing to the bathroom stall. Um, the gunshots were still going off rapidly, and it's still not real to me yet. The gunman entered the bathroom and was shooting his machine gun. One of the survivors of Pulse. I mean, can you even comprehend the horror of that night? 407-916-5400, if you have something you'd like to say in this regard, all Pulse nightclub massacre focused, please, in one way or another, and uh, our text line, 23680-407-916-5400. Let me go to the phones. First up on the line, and he's been waiting a while, is Ben from Claremont. Uh, good morning to you, Ben. Morning, bud. Uh, we know this is a Memorial Day, and it was a sad day, but my thoughts came around to the use of the rainbow, which is God's only symbol, physical symbol to man, warning against this behavior and what happens, and then to turn the city into a shrine for homosexuality is mighty dangerous business. Now, you understand that the rainbow symbol um, being used by the gay community that way, way predates Pulse. Oh, yes. Okay. I, now, I'm saying heterosexual sin is no better than homosexual sin. But homosexuality adds abomination to it. That's God's words. And when you start... That's what the Bible God teaches. Like that, I'm sorry? That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. And, it's, it's, and God says, look out. You, you keep doing this. I'll come down on you like I did Sodom and Gomorrah and the other four or five cities in the Bible he destroyed. Yaffe, you want in on this? Uh, Well, I was just going to point out that I understand his point, and it's a decent point, but the rainbow was actually a symbol that God would not destroy the earth with water again. That was in the wake of the flood. Yeah, after the flood. So I get where he's going from, but the rainbow wasn't a symbol of this, I could do this again. It was actually a symbol of I'm not going to do this again. Ben, thank you for the call. Let's go right now to Paul in Haines City. Good morning. You're joining us on this special edition of Good Morning Orlando, one year after the Pulse Massacre. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Bud, can I make an observation before I say what I was going to say about uh, you? Go ahead. You know, you can read the handwriting on the wall pretty soon, in my my opinion. It's going to be uh, Good Morning Orlando with Mike Yaffe and Deborah Roberts. Why? And when you when you do retire, one of the all-time greats is going to be gone. And there's only one other I would even compare you to, and that's Paul Harvey. Oh, my goodness. And <laughs> yes, absolutely. You are the classiest, most objective talk show host I've ever heard since Paul Harvey. Oh, my. So it's going to be a great loss to radio. Anyhow, mm. my problem is, uh, my blood boiled when I heard about Pulse. How dare they come to my country, people uh, practicing their law and given rights, and this man mows them down? 
but I think it's even just as heinous, the politicians using this to advance gay rights. And I think the gay community should be upset about that. This was an attack on American lifestyle, American rights, regardless how you see it in the scriptures. But to take it and pervert it to the way they're doing it, I think is equally as evil as the attack itself. I think that is a terrific perspective on a personal note. I really do appreciate your very kind comments. I don't know that I could live up to the legacy of Paul Harvey, but I certainly am grateful for that um, endorsement. Uh, But we're going to keep our eye on the ball here, and it's all things related to the aftermath of the Pulse nightclub massacre. Uh, Your indelible memories, your feelings here this morning uh, to be shared. This is the time. This is the place a special edition of the 50,000-watt front porch, all Pulse-related. We have many, many angles on this, but we would like now to hear from you and what you're thinking this morning and what it was like for you as you went through, in your own way, Orlando's darkest day. As you certainly know by now, early Sunday morning, there was another senseless shooting, this time at a dance club in Orlando, Florida. A dance club. It left 49 people dead, which is the largest loss of life due to a terrorist attack on U.S. soil since 9-11. Jimmy Fallon, late-night talk show host, whose game, of course, is generally comedy, with an emotional commentary one year ago in the wake of the Pulse nightclub massacre here in Orlando. Of course, this is the focus, the Pulse massacre, Uh, and observances today after one year of our entire special edition of Good Morning Orlando this morning. Uh, In our next uh, hour, we've got a nationally known counterterrorism and security expert here to answer some questions, and some of them are very, very important for you and me to get his perspectives on. And there is much more coming up, and of course, more of your calls, and the text line, never a busy signal. And Yaffe, you've got a lot of incoming this morning. What are folks saying? Uh, yes, uh, in, in terms of Pulse, uh, one person says, protect America now from radical Islamic terrorism. Says, God bless the Pulse victims and their families. Orlando will never be the same. And by the way, I'm getting some text uh, agreeing with the last caller who compared you to Paul Harvey and says uh, you, you'll be missed You know, one day whenever you retire. So uh, they, they are agreeing with that caller. You know what? You know what's kind of creeping me out. All this retirement going. <laughs> Has somebody put something out there that I, I'm not I, aware of? No, I've not <laughs> seen that. That's awfully kind. It really is. Um, thank you for that. I do appreciate it. It's a great privilege. I've done so many things. I've been blessed to have an opportunity to do before a microphone on television and radio for a long, long time. And I feel like I still have a few shows left in me. But I can tell you, there's no greater challenge and no greater privilege. Um, than to uh, be the host of a show like Good Morning Orlando. And I love the idea because, you know, when I was a television news anchor, you know, you never really got any feedback directly from people. And it is just absolutely great to open up the phones and have a conversation here on the 50,000-watt front porch with the folks of Central Florida I love so very much. Okay, um... One of the things that's going to happen at noon today is really extraordinary, I think, of all of the events. I want you to be listening, and I think I may drive back into the city uh, to do this. Um, Apparently, churches all over Orlando have somehow coordinated their church bells to all peal 49 times 
together at, uh, at high noon today, something that will be deeply moving and meaningful that we will be listening for. News at the top of the hour with Deb. Stay tuned on that score. She'll be, of course, focusing more on marking one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre and on the Florida Senate um, and the issue of medical marijuana. How did it all play out in the special session recently concluded? Good morning, Orlando. We are glad you're with us for this special edition of the show, focusing on all things related to the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando, Florida, June 12, 2016. It is 7 o'clock. Today we're dealing with something that we never imagined and is unimaginable. Since the last update, we have gotten better access to the building. We have cleared the building. And it is with great sadness that I share we have not 20 but 50 casualties. In addition to the shooter, there are another 53 that are hospitalized. Chilling even one year later, the words of Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer as we begin our number two of our special edition of Good Morning Orlando related to the Pulse nightclub massacre on the first anniversary. Time now for an update at 7 o'clock on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts, and our top stories this morning marking one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre and the Florida Senate passes medical marijuana. We'll have the details coming up in one minute. And Pulse perspectives from a nationally known counterterrorism and security expert joining me live next on Good Morning Orlando. Good Monday morning at 7.03 on News Radio 1025. Today marks one year since the world and the city of Orlando were rocked by the deadliest mass shooting in recent U.S. history. Angel Cologne was shot three times but survived. This person has to be heartless. Heartless, ruthless. It's, I don't know how you could do something like this. Just seeing all these bodies everywhere and this person is just enjoying doing this. It doesn't, I, there's no way. I don't know how. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer declared today as Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. Churches throughout Orlando and the world really will ring bells 49 times at noon for each victim of the mass murder at the Pulse nightclub. A closed service for survivors, club employees, and local officials is scheduled at the nightclub. This news brought to you by Tresco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A Gulf Coast Pulse survivor will spend today at the spot where his life was forever changed. Florida Hospital Tampa nurse Michael Morales was wounded in the nightclub shooting one year ago today and his boyfriend was killed. The 35-year-old Lutz resident now needs a cane to walk, but that won't stop him from attending a ceremony today at the scene of the shooting. He tells the Tampa Bay Times he wants to hug the person who rescued him and say thank you. The victims of the attack at Pulse were remembered during a vigil at a downtown Orlando church Sunday. The Cathedral Church of St. Luke invited the public to the service where prayers were offered in English and Spanish. Deacon Nancy Oliver, who is with the church, says she spent June 12, 2016, trying to comfort those affected. During the service, church leaders read the names of the 49 victims and lit candles in their honor. In other news, the Florida Senate approves a bill to implement the medical marijuana amendment approved last year by 71 percent of the voters. It cleared the Senate by a vote of 28 to 8. Senator Jeff Clemens voted yes, but he doesn't like the bill because it bans smoking. Only edibles, oils and vaping are allowed. When 90 percent of the people who access a certain kind of medicine do it in the same way, in, in some way, and we ban that or don't make that allowable as part of the bill, 
I don't think that that is implementing the will of the voters. However, Governor Rick Scott says he'll be signing the medical marijuana law approved by lawmakers on the last day of the special session. And Attorney John Morgan, who, um, you know, dug deep and, and forked over millions of dollars to drive the successful campaign here, says he's going to let them have it. Uh, he's going to yeah. sue them, right, if, oh, they yes. don't, if they don't allow the smoking, because he says that was part of the amendment. It was, and it was part of the ballot language, and it was, you know, yeah. 71% of voters approved it as the ballot language, as, as it was written. Yeah. So he, they're planning a lawsuit, so. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what's a short list of things John and I agree on politically, yes. but that is certainly on the list. Go get them. Absolutely, and finally, uh, since we are expecting more showers and storms today, and if you're anything like me, you woke up with a migraine. And a doctor is explaining how fluctuating weather this time of year can wreak havoc on a headache. Dr. Jennifer Kriegler with the Cleveland Clinic says a change in weather is a major migraine trigger for many of her patients. In general, it's usually a fall in barometric pressure, but for many people, it doesn't matter. It could be a quick rise in, in temperature as well, or if there's going to be thunderstorms. Research shows changes in barometric pressure can be associated with migraine headache attacks. Dr. Kriegler says experts believe that a fall in barometric pressure may force fluid into tissues and cause a disruption in fluid balance. She says people who suffer from migraine headaches will often sense when barometric pressure falls and becomes stressed. She says stress hormones can also provoke a headache, so managing stress or exercise <laughs> or relaxation techniques will help keep it away. How are you doing at this point? You're right? It's a tough day. It's well, a tough day physically, emotionally, you know. And all of those things, I think, could contribute in addition to a pressure change. Absolutely. But when I woke up this morning it, or even when I went to bed with it yeah. last night, I was like, oh, we've got more storms coming. You know, Deb, I have to tell you, and I think Yaffe would agree with this, and I could see it in your eyes as we heard the chilling words of a Mayor Buddy Dyer a year ago when we suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, there are 50 dead, including the shooter. At that time, it was one of the few times I literally had my breath taken away yes. in front of a microphone live, yeah. and I felt the same way, and my heart started racing, and my heart sank. The reaction a year later was almost the same. I don't know that that will ever leave us. I don't, I don't believe it will, but And I remember hearing the other reporters who had gathered for that press conference when Mayor Dyer came out and uh, made that announcement. You could hear audible gasps throughout the crowd. We just couldn't believe the number. Yeah, Why absolutely. here? Truly, truly unforgettable. We were all together one year ago, and uh, and uh, Yaffe, I know we have a very special guest coming up here in a moment, and uh, you're working to make that happen for us. Are we going to be ready to go on that in just a second, buddy? Uh, yes. We're looking yes, forward we're to, to that. Go. We've got a national, uh, a, a nationally known security expert, and I know you, you've interviewed him before, and counterterrorism expert yeah, uh, great as guy. well, Paul Violas. He will be on the 50,000-watt front porch with Pulse-related perspectives I think we all need to hear. Deb, will await your news update at the bottom of the hour whenever it breaks, and go take care of that headache, will you? <laughs> Thank you, bud, man. All right, darling. We'll have all of that in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in a couple of minutes here. Two minutes, to be exact, on News Radio 1025 WFLA. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. And right now, um, we're privileged to have with us Paul Violas, our good friend, um, headquartered in uh, Melbourne, nationally known expert on counterterrorism and security, and he heads uh, the Violas Group International. Paul, welcome back to the 50,000-watt front porch on this special always, edition of Good Morning Orlando. Always a pleasure to join you, bud. Your reflections, please, on the attack one year ago and your thoughts now, a year later, from an expert's perspective. You know, when we look at this, the one thing that we have to remember 
is the fact that the shooter is a homegrown was a homegrown Islamic radicalist. We grew him up here. He showed all the signs way before this happened. And we really need to take that into consideration and under advisement as we prepare to better enhance our security levels here on American soil. You know, there are still those who say that it is unclear what Omar Mateen's motive was the night he opened fire at the Pulse nightclub. What is your take on that? I think we just kind of got an indicator by your first response. Hate. Hate fueled by an individual that was educated through, through channels such as ISIS over the Internet with respect to a radical form of Islam that points to a level of peace, but, but only peace through those that are either converted to their way of thinking or eliminated. And that's exactly what we saw. But when you say hate, hate directed at whom? The infidels, the general population here in, in America who are not, uh, you know, into radical Islamic um, theology and uh, Sharia law, etc.? Or, as, who, as some, or some would sorry. say, hate exclusively directed at the gay community. And, and I believe no. that is a narrative that has been created that is not a reflection of reality. No, it's hate directed towards anyone that does not believe what they believe. And, and, to, and to be clear, we are not talking about the Muslim community. We are talking about a small faction of zealots. Islamic radicalists that have interpreted Islam to mean a certain way of life. It's not accurate, but that's their interpretation. Their hate extends to everyone here, anyone who doesn't belong or fit into the bucket that they believe is acceptable. Talking with Paul Violas, who's a nationally known expert on counterterrorism and security. You know, Paul, some have um, criticized police for the three hours it took to uh, cut down the killer and end the carnage at the Pulse nightclub. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's really hard, but honest to God, it's really hard having responded tactically to situations to Monday morning quarterback that there's so many different moving parts. There was the, the, the police did not have eyes inside of, of, the, of the nightclub at that time. They had to make decisions based on the limited knowledge that they had at that point in time. You know, I'm not defending or supporting. I'm just saying from a tactical standpoint, I truly believe they did the best they could. My, my answer, though, in, in the totality of your question is really what we can be doing better. And I truly believe we, we need to start enhancing certain levels of technology that are now available today. Talk about that. that, flesh, that flesh that out for us a little bit here, because sure. because my next question really was whether or not local officials and police were doing all that they can do to protect us from um, suffering a similar attack in the future. Let's talk about the technology route, which we need to go down. Okay, well, first of all, it's a conscious decision, bud, that that business owners are going to have to make. And that is, do you want to put metal detectors outside of your building, outside of the club, the bar, and have people go through it and pat it down? Do you want to do that? Now, if you want to eliminate weapons coming in, then you're going to significantly reduce that risk if you do that. The more advanced technology or, or is software out there, such as uh, a company called Veritone that just went public. Now, that software actually educates existing CCTVs how to think and how to learn, how to remember faces and how to report, how to break down data. It's really fascinating technology, but what that would enable law enforcement is to preemptively identify people 
that are on a watch list that maybe we just don't have enough bodies to watch and use technology to assist us in identifying and mitigating preemptively what we saw happen reactively. Very interesting, Paul. In conclusion, let me ask you this. I mean, you know, we have to go on living our lives. We have a radical Islamic terrorist threat, which, of course, continues. I mean, we can't hide in the closet. Is there anything at all that the average citizen can do to minimize the possibility of them becoming a victim of a terrorist attack? Perhaps the most poignant question of all, but and, and, and no, we should not live in fear. We live in the greatest country in the world. We're protected by 1.3 million of the greatest law enforcement officers in the world and clearly the best military. We need to enjoy the, you know, the living here on American soil. But that being said, we do need to embrace the fact we're in the embryonic stage of holy war. And what that means is that, you know, oftentimes people say, you know, if you see something, say something. It kind of begs the question, what is something and who do I report it to? Yeah. And, and, and the answer, the simple answer to, to all of your listeners is this. If there's something that sticks out that doesn't look right to you, pick up the phone and call the police. Now, here in Central Florida, obviously very, you know, uh, very well protected by either you know, Orlando PD, um, Orange County Sheriff's Office, and a variety of the other police departments here. Call the local police department. There's numbers posted everywhere. If that police department feels that needs to be taken up to report it to the FBI, they'll do it. If it's a backpack, if it's something that looks out of place, if it's behavior, mm-hmm. don't look at the person. Look at the behavior. If it doesn't feel right and look right, report it. You can't report it too often. Paul, how do folks reach out to you? You head the Violas Group International. You're a nationally known expert on counterterrorism and security. If folks want to connect to you further beyond this interview, yeah, how do they do it? The simplest way, bud, is violas.com, V-I-O-L-L-I-S.com. Thank you, Paul, for coming on the show. Um, Very important that we heard from you this morning. Thank you for making time in your busy schedule. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. In a moment, I'll take more calls and texts, and I've got a few more things to say in this half hour of our special edition of uh, Good Morning Orlando, one year after the Pulse nightclub attack. But I'd love to hear from you if you have some uh, indelible memories, some thoughts, some perspectives, uh, and what you're thinking and feeling one year after the worst terrorist attack on American soil since September 11th, 2001, the Pulse nightclub attack here in our town, our city, Orlando, Florida. 407-916-5400, text line 23680. We'll hear from you. We'll have that in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic updated as well in only two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. The deadliest mass shooting in modern U.S. history. The words that were so chilling from Fox News special report anchor Brett Baer when we realized that we had 49 innocent people slaughtered and the killer Omar Mateen finally shot dead by police June 12, 2016. Is it not hard to imagine that a full year has gone by. Let's go to the phone. Scott from Apopka, you're on with uh, the Bud Man on this uh, special edition of Good Morning Orlando. Scott, how are you? Good morning, Bud. That was a great question you asked, Paul. What was going through the police head when they sat in the parking lot for three hours? Personally, I think they were waiting for them to run out of bullets. If you had 49 people... Oh, dead, man, that, that's 50, pretty, 50 pretty people, sinister, 50 Scott. people shot, 
that that is an average of five clips in his gun. You know, I mean, three hours is a little bit um, long for the police to come in and take action. Now, I, when I, there was over 100 police officers out there in the parking lot, armored cars, armor vests, and tactical equipment. Tell you what, I'm not going to put words in Orlando Police Chief John Mina's mouth. I'm going to let him put those words there. He will be with me live at 840, and that is one of the questions I will ask him, Scott. I hope you'll be listening. I will be listening. Thank you, bud. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Frank, you've waited a long time, and good morning to you, Frank, from Deltona in Volusia County. Frank. Frank. Okay, I'm going to put him on hold. He's got to be ready to go, Yaffe. You can't be waiting to take me off speaker or something, okay? We've got to be ready to go here with all due respect. He's a great patriot, and I appreciate him, but you've got to be ready to go here on the 50,000-watt front porch. Um... I do continue to have a big problem with the media and politicians spinning this as a massive hate crime at gay Americans, okay? There is no evidence that I am aware of that his motive that night was to exclusively kill as many gays as he could. He had been to the Pulse nightclub Himself, socially, it is reported on several occasions, could well be that this was just a place where he knew the layout. He knew what he would be walking into. The night of the attack, he had ample opportunity in his 911 call communications with police to go on a gay-bashing tirade. He did not. He did say that he was killing in the name of ISIS and radical Islam. Remember that Mateen had also reportedly thought about maybe going down to Disney Springs in the shopping complex there to engineer mass murder. Hardly a place you would go if your target was exclusively gays. I'm sorry, it is a terrible tragedy for all those in the LGBT community were killed that night, and I would never minimize that. But the narrative has been hijacked for political reasons largely to make this a hate crime against the gay community when there is no evidence that that was the primary motive. And there is strong evidence that the primary motive was killing in the name of radical Islam and Allah. And you will hear from Mateen in that regard in the next half hour. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. And of course, that is the focus throughout our three hours here this morning. And, um, in that connection, let me turn it over to my co-host and partner, bringing us the news at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Deb, go ahead. Thank you, bud. Yeah, it's been one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando that killed 49 people and wounded dozens more. But for some good news, Angel Santiago says that after he survived that shooting, he decided he wanted to live his life with purpose. He says the care he got from nurses during his recovery at Florida Hospital Orlando inspired him 
to go into nursing school. Oh, my. Yeah, Santiago was shot in both of his legs, and he says it wasn't until he got to the hospital when he realized just how seriously hurt he, he was. The care he received had a lasting impression. Santiago said his initial plan wasn't to live in Orlando very long, but Pulse changed everything. As soon as he recovered, he enrolled in nursing school at Valencia College. What was interesting is that he said one of the nurses... At, at the hospital who was caring for him, shared her story about when she decided to become a nurse, and that was when she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Hidden so, blessings in the midst of adversity, you yeah, know. Definitely. Remarkable story. Santiago now lives near Lake Eola in the heart of downtown Orlando. From his balcony, he can see most of downtown, including the Lake Eola band shell that remains painted in rainbow colors. The colors inspire Santiago to keep studying so he can eventually give others the kind of care that helps save his life. In between classes, he speaks to groups across the country to share his story and advocate for the prevention of gun violence. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. And, of course, Central Florida will never forget the 49 lives that we lost and the more than 50 others who were injured last June 12, 2016. Our community is coming together one year later to honor their lives and also to remind the world that we are Orlando strong. The city of Orlando has designated today as Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. Here are some things people in the community can do to volunteer today and beyond. The city plans to have a public community gathering, reflections, and remembrance. That's going to take place from 11 a.m to 1 p.m. at Pulse, which is at 1912 Orange Avenue. A community gathering will be held at 7 p.m. tonight at Lake Eola, uh, which is located at Washington Street and Rosalind. The city will also host from the public community gathering moments of hope and healing from 10 p.m. until 1159 at Pulse. And to help out, Uber is going to be offering free rides today up to $15 each. To and from the Orlando Love Remembering Our Angels Ceremony, that's the one at Lake Yola at 7 o'clock tonight, and the Public Community Gathering Moments of Hope and Healing Ceremony at Pulse, again, that's set for 10 o'clock tonight. The Uber promo code, which is United Day, one word for the free rides, will be available beginning at 5 o'clock today and will end at 2 a.m. Tuesday, June 13th. And there are a lot of blood drives going on all over. We've got a blood drive taking place at Pulse at Lake Eola, at Orlando City Hall, and as well as our iHeartRadio offices right here in Maitland. Another thing that's going on that hasn't really gotten a lot of attention yet is the uh, expanded One Orlando Collection and Digital Gallery at the Orange County History Center um, includes images of individual items that were collected at the Pulse Memorial sites in their current state of preservation. So if you'd want to see all of the items that were picked up outside of the nightclub that were left in the days, weeks, and months after, you can go see them at the Orange County History Center. The gallery displays available for viewing today through the 15th, or the 17th, rather, mm-hmm. and admission is free. Yeah, it's a remarkable uh, outpouring across the community here. Yeah, we have so many events. There's many more than we can actually cover right at the moment. But And apparently a lot of the churches in Orlando have synced up um, the peeling of their bells 49 times for each victim scheduled all simultaneously across the city at high noon today. That will be something to listen for. Absolutely, and I'm going to uh, scamper out to the newsroom and find the countries overseas that are also going to be joining our Orlando churches to toll their bells 49 times. Love to hear that story. Deb, thank you so much. You're welcome, bud. Deborah Roberts with news top of the bottom of the hour whenever it breaks, of course, and with a special focus on all angles relating to the one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre. Yesterday was the most horrific day in the history of the city of Orlando. 
Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer, in the wake of the Pulse nightclub attack, the worst mass shooting in modern American history, June 12, 2016, one year ago today, 49 slaughtered inside the Pulse nightclub on South Orange Avenue here in the city, 53 more wounded. The ultimate domestic terrorism nightmare. I've really become increasingly concerned about how politicians and many media outlets have distorted and essentially hijacked the narrative here for the benefit of the LGBT community, that this is all about an oppressed minority being victimized by a massive hate crime. There is no question that tragically a vast number of the victims were gay, But that night, the terrorist had an opportunity to say that he was killing gays. That's why he went to the Pulse nightclub. But he did not say that. Now, you've heard me relate some of the transcripts over the last 12 months that have been released on exchanges with police and with the terrorist and 911 operators, right? From a Nightline TV special, now we hear the shooter himself, Omar Mateen. He calls 911 in the middle of engineering the massacre. He says he is the shooter. The 911 operator then asks him, what's your name? And without further prompting, this is what Mateen said. I pledge my allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, Hafidullah, on behalf of the Islamic State. It's killing in the name of Allah and ISIS. And al-Baghdadi is an ISIS leader. That's what he says. There is no tape or transcript of which I am aware, and I think I'm aware of everything that is out there, that indicates... I hate gays, and I'm going to kill as many as I can. He had visited the Pulse nightclub. He may well have known that it was, this is a layout where he will be comfortable with it. He'll know where he can go to maximum effect. He had talked about committing mass murder down at Disney Springs, according to um, some testimony by by his wife, who's now under arrest and charged with aiding and abetting Mateen. Okay, nor Salman, right? But 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 there but there is no evidence out there that this was a hate crime against gays. Kill as many gays as you can. This is kill as many infidels as you can. Happens to be at a gay nightclub. And Yaffe, I just you know, I'm I'm not trying to minimize the horrible impact in the LGBT community because so many of the victims were in fact members of that community. But I you know, I'm I'm in the business as a guy who spent years as a journalist and a newsman and who now tries to get to the truth on an opinion-driven talk radio program, it's in my DNA to find the truth and try to speak the truth. And I'm just, I have such a problem with the political agendas at work here to hijack the narrative and create something other than what the reality was, to maximize the offense to the gay community 
and minimize the reality that this was a radical Islamic terrorist killing in the name of ISIS and Allah. Well, I think your last points there were well said. You you know, you said, I'm not trying to minimize the impact. Really, they're the ones trying to minimize it, the politicians, because they're making it about the gay, about, you know, an oppressed minority when, yes, ISIS hates homosexuals. But this was much bigger than that. And yet they've, you know, they had that whole uh, sticker campaign where you could put it on businesses, for instance, and it would be a safe place for gays and, you know, stuff like that. That's an obvious using a terrorist attack for a political agenda. But you that know what? But I, and I remember the police kind of endorsed that and backed it because I think in this age of political correctness, they don't want to seem insensitive to an oppressed minority. So right. nobody was going to oppose this. You can almost hijack a narrative like this and rewrite it without resistance because everybody is so hamstrung with political correctness and fear of offending any minority. Well, not only that, but there were other mind. You know, there were other groups affected by this. Not everyone that was killed was gay. There was Hispanics who oh, were killed, and sure. there were just regular. There were whites, I believe, who were killed well, that yeah. were not gay. No, there were straight people who were just there because this is the place where they went for a good time on a Saturday night. Right. So it kind of what they're the ones yeah. kind of minimizing the impact. Okay, I, I just feel compelled here not to be insensitive but to try and see through the smokescreen to the hardcore truth of what this was. Today we're dealing with something that we never imagined and is unimaginable. Since the last update, we have gotten better access to the building. We have cleared the building. And it is with great sadness that I share we have not 20 but 50 casualties. In addition to the shooter... There are another 53 that are hospitalized. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer, in the moment that took our breath away mm-hmm. in the aftermath of the Pulse nightclub massacre one year ago. Good morning, Orlando. Time now for our update on Orlando's news, weather, and traffic at the top of the 8 o'clock hour here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. I'm Bud Hedinger. And I'm Deborah Roberts. And our top stories this morning marking the one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre and State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith reflects on Pulse. We'll have those details in one minute. And you're going to hear from a local sheriff who says the best protection for you against the next terrorist attack is for you to start packing heat and now. Next on Good Morning Orlando. And good Monday morning. It's 8.03 on News Radio 1025. It's been one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre in Orlando that killed 49 people and wounded dozens more. Patience Carter is one of the many who witnessed the horrific attack. My face was looking into the other stall, and I could see piles of bodies laying over the toilet seat and slumped over in the bottom of the toilet was just covered with handprints and blood. And when I looked back the other way, I could just see other people like piled behind me, just blood. Some were dead and some were just moaning in like pain. Orlando police shot and killed the gunman who had pledged his allegiance to ISIS during 911 calls after a three-hour standoff. Today is officially designated as Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness. 
Hulse remains the deadliest shooting in U.S. history. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. A state lawmaker from Central Florida is taking stock of events one year after Pulse. Carlos Guillermo Smith says Orlando has become more of an example in the aftermath of the tragedy. A lot has changed. Our entire community is a different place than it used to be. And I see it as mostly positive change. We're different in that we are more accepting, um, more support for the LGBTQ community, really for all communities. Smith is an openly gay lawmaker, the first LGBT Latino to be elected to the state legislature. He says Orlando has united after this tragedy in a way that many outsiders would never believe possible. In a story that Bud's going to be talking about in the 8 o'clock hour, residents in Brevard County are being urged to arm themselves for war. Sheriff Wayne Ivey posted a video on Facebook last week asking residents to carry a gun or a taser. If you have a concealed carry permit, then carry your gun with you at all times possible. The video was posted after the deadly workplace shooting here in Orange County and the terrorist attacks in London. Almost 350,000 people have watched that video where Ivy says this is war and now is the time to be prepared to serve as the first line of defense. We're going to hear more from the sheriff off that video in a moment. And then I want to ask Central Florida, what do you think of what Sheriff Ivy is calling for? It's coming right up. All right. Well, in other local news, Bobby Christina Brown's ex-boyfriend is facing domestic violence charges. Nicholas Gordon was arrested over the weekend in Sanford after police say he had an argument with his live-in girlfriend. Police say Gordon punched her during the argument and wouldn't let her leave the apartment. Gordon's mother eventually helped her leave and took her to the hospital for treatment. During a hearing Sunday, Gordon's bond was set at $15,000 for a kidnapping and false imprisonment charge with another 500 bucks tacked on for domestic battery. He'll also have to wear a GPS monitor. Gordon's next court date is August 1st. Gordon was found legally responsible for the death of Bobby Christina, the daughter of Bobby Brown and the late Whitney Houston, last September. Bobby died in July of 2015, nearly six months after she was found unresponsive in a bathtub at a home she shared with Gordon. He wasn't found criminally responsible. And finally, on the one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre, church bells will ring across the globe to commemorate the 49 victims whose lives were lost. The One Orlando Alliance set up a website showing the churches that have signed up to participate in what they're calling the 49 Bells Movement of Love. The participating churches will ring their bells 49 times at 12 o'clock noon. Of course, church bells in Orlando are expected to peal at 12 o'clock noon, but we also know that bells will be ringing across the United States and in London, Panama, Peru, and Puerto Rico. Oh, my goodness. I don't believe I've seen anything like this. And it, and it isn't a perfect analogy, but I remember on the Bicentennial in 1976, at a given time, all the bells were rung across the country, and then President Ford rang the bell to start it all on board a ship, as I think it might have been. I don't know what it was, but at any rate, this is a remarkable um, outpouring Across the nation. Across the nation and across the world. Oh, Thank my you goodness, so dude. much to the churches oh. in London, Panama, yeah. Peru, Puerto yeah. Rico, all those other churches oh and all those other countries that we uh, haven't named yet, that they're going to take time out of their day as well to mm. reflect on the 49 lives that were lost. Gives you goosebumps. It really does. Coming up at noon today, our time. Noon, our, yep, noon today. It reminds wow. us that, you know, this touched everybody around the world. Yes, it, it did. It felt very 
you know, of course, local for us, but it's this is this has affected a lot of people. No question. What a story. Yeah. WFLA News Time. It's 808. You can read about One Blood, still strong, still united, still One Blood Drive. There's blood drives going on all over Central Florida today. Get the locations and more at 1025WFLA.com. The third hour of Good Morning Orlando starts now. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. Kevin, one of those um, sites for uh, giving blood is right here at our Heart Media Complex, right? When we have so many radio stations all under one roof, yeah, right? Yeah, we do. We've got, I believe, at least nine radio stations all up here on the fourth floor. And you can, uh, you know, come and give us a visit at 2500 Maitland Center Boulevard. Of course, that's in Maitland. Um, and we're going to have the one red bus downstairs. Yeah. It's also going to be happening at Pulse today at Lake Eola, mm-hmm. Orlando City Hall. So um, it's just a reminder, you know, that those unsung heroes who stood in the hot, in the heat, and the humidity for hours last year, uh, thousands of people donated blood. Yeah, and it was an amazing outpouring of people who just wanted to do anything they could. And they didn't know what else to do, but they could give of the lifeblood. Absolutely. Their, yeah, oh boy. You know, and if, if there was ever a day it was needed, it was on that day as well. But, you know, One Blood also wants to give a shout out to those folks who donated in the days before the attack because that was the blood that was really used yeah. for the victims of the attack because of course blood has to be collected and then sorted it has to go through a process sure but still all those people who stopped what they were doing on june 12 2016 and went and stood in the sun for hours uh to give blood kudos to everyone who did that amen to that deb as we continue with our special edition of uh good morning orlando marking one year since the pulse Nightclub attack, the worst mass shooting in American history, 49 dead, 53 injured. Uh, We're going to focus on more on this controversial video put out by Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey. And I love this guy. He's not hamstrung by political correctness. He tells it like it is, and I think he is right on the money with what he is advocating we all do. Get licensed to carry a concealed weapon and then carry it that we, not the police, need to be the very first line of defense against a mass killer like the one who claimed all the lives at the Pulse nightclub. And we'll see what you think. I like what I'm hearing from the sheriff in Brevard County, but we'll see what you think here in a moment. So we'll have that in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic in two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Today, as Americans, we grieve the brutal murder, a horrific massacre of dozens of innocent people. We pray for the families who are grasping for answers with broken hearts. We stand with the people of Orlando who have endured a terrible attack on their city. The words of then-President Obama in the wake of the Pulse nightclub attack one year ago. Did you ever stop to think what would have happened if just one person in the Pulse nightclub had had a gun? Now you're going to say, well, wait a minute. You know, they don't allow guns in places like that where they serve alcohol, and I understand that. I'm not actually here to debate that. But just a member of the staff had a gun? Somebody could have put a bullet in Omar Mateen's head early on, and who knows how many lives would have been saved. That's really the heart and soul of what is being advocated in a controversial video that has been put out And has gotten like, I don't know, the better part of half a million hits from Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey. A very strong message to all of us that we can and need to become the first line of defense 
against the next terrorist attack. We, even before law enforcement, let's listen to Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey right now. It's his 4A's approach to surviving the next local terrorist attack. His call for the public to prepare to deal with and survive the next attack. His 4A's approach. Let's listen. The first responders on the scene are there to address the threat and stop the shooter. But until they arrive, you are the first responder. Your actions in the first 30 seconds of the attack will make a difference in your chance for survival. Remember, the four A's of survival if you ever find yourself facing an active shooter. Awareness, avoidance, arm, attack. Arm meaning arm yourself. More on that now in the controversial arm yourself part of Sheriff Ivy's message. Arm yourself. If you have a concealed carry permit and the venue allows you to carry your gun, then by all means you should have your gun with you and be prepared to defend yourself. Remember, when the prey is armed, the predator thinks twice. If you have a concealed carry and decide to take action, be aware of your surroundings and backdrops. Make sure your actions never put other innocent bystanders at risk. Once law enforcement is on scene, ground your weapon and comply with their commands immediately. Remember, by quickly complying with our directions, you allow us to immediately focus on the active shooter and attend to those who have been put in harm's way. I think the sheriff is right on the money there, but here is something Sheriff Ivy is calling for in the video that makes perfect sense, but I will confess it is something I seldom ever do. What about you? No matter where you're at, always try to be aware of your environment, whether you're out to dinner, at the mall, or even in church. Always ask yourself, what if, and create your exit strategy so if something happens, you are well prepared. Know your surroundings and routinely ask yourself, what if? By playing out a potential active shooter scenario in every venue you attend, you will have a mentally prepared emergency plan in case the emergency happens. Look for exits, potential items that can be used as weapons, and areas that can be used for cover or to securely barricade yourself and others. All right, we posted the entire Sheriff Wayne Ivey from Brevard County, his entire video on the website, 1025wfla.com, keyword Budman. What's your reaction to that? He's saying, you know what? Before the cops get there, we need people with guns ready to take out the terrorists before mass murder is committed. That we need to get licensed to carry a concealed weapon and then, by God, carry the gun. 407-916-5400. What's your reaction to what you've just heard from the sheriff? National anthem in the first Orlando City soccer home game after the Pulse nightclub attack. They stopped the game at the 49th minute in honor of the 49 victims of the mass shootings. And that was Naomi Bradshaw leading everybody in a rousing uh, rendition of the national anthem. Um, she is uh, married to Jack Bradshaw, who's the program director right across the hall at our sister station, Real Radio 1041. Um, you know, I have to say, Yaffe, that I like Sheriff Ivy saying, you know what, you got to get a concealed weapons permit and you got to be out there carrying because you could be the one who could put a bullet in the head of the terrorist and, and minimize the carnage. And, and, I, and I can't argue with that one one bit. But I also got to tell you that I don't do what he is advocating. I don't really case the joint when I'm going into a restaurant or when I'm going into a store because I don't want to constantly be thinking about, is there a terrorist there? It'll make me crazy. 
but it probably is the smart thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do it sometimes because I like to be aware of my surroundings. I especially did it when I used to go to college at UCF. I would think about that because that's usually places where shootings happens. But even I, I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody does it all the time unless they're trained to think that way. Go check out the whole uh, Sheriff Ivy video on the website, okay? Here is uh, Joe on Titusville reacting to what the sheriff had to say and my take on it. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I think what he's doing is is really dangerous. Really? Uh, you know, I, I was trained by the military for law enforcement, and I got to tell you, you know, what happens when the law enforcement turns up and there's people shooting, some good, some not so good? Who do the people, who, who are the cops going to shoot, you know? How do they know? I think he's putting a lot of people in danger by saying it's a good idea theoretically. However, the carnage that could happen, people are not trained. Probably 50 percent of Americans are not trained sufficiently enough or have the mentality to be. Oh, I don't know what happened, Joe. We lost you. But I think I understand your point and I I respect your point of view on that. Um, Listen, we got to make time for Sheriff um, or rather, Orlando Police Chief John Mina in the next segment right after the news. So let me launch toward Deborah Roberts, bringing us the news here in just a moment, a little earlier than usual. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. And that, of course, is Deb's uh, focus here as she updates us on the news at the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour. Yes, and it has been one year since the Pulse nightclub massacre where 49 people were shot and killed and at least 53 others were gravely injured. Chilling 911 calls were made as the attack unfolded. Tell me what's going on now. Uh, we have one guy here. What happened? What do you say? He said just stay fire. Just call the way and his um he has a call, but he's not conscious. Kind of okay, okay. And the other guy with the chest is hard to breathe. Okay. Let him know we got ambulances waiting to help him. We just we're trying to get okay. you guys out right now. Okay. okay. Just stay. Everyone, okay. stay where they are. Just try to try to keep everyone calm. Okay. Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer has declared today Orlando United Day a day of love and kindness. Churches throughout Orlando and the world will ring bells 49 times at noon for each victim of the mass murder at the Pulse nightclub. This news brought to you by Trusco Bank, Florida's hometown bank. Over uh, one year after the Pulse tragedy and Orlando Strong is not just a slogan, it's a, it's progress and a way of life. That from Rachel Allen, director of the Peace and Justice Institute at Valencia College. I think the community has done a lot of work in the last year um, to consider how we went through that tragedy together. I think there's a, a really strong sense of pride that the community um, was so supportive of the LGBTQ community. She says the year has been full of transformative stories as well as examples of progress that remains to be made. And speaking of those transformative stories, one of the uh, Keenan Carter sisters says he was pronounced dead twice, but he refused to go. Oh, my. Yeah, one of the survivors of the attack. Carter spent the next month in a coma. Now, the first thing he says he remembers seeing when he woke up was his mother and brother looking at him from outside his hospital window. But neither of them are still alive. Oh, Deb. Carter believes they were working as his guardian angels. Carter was the second to last person released from the hospital. Since he was shot multiple times at Pulse, he's had more than 20 surgeries and will likely need more. He still can't walk. But Carter is thankful to be alive. 
He believes he survived thanks to his friend Antonio Brown, God rest his soul, who shielded him from bullets. Brown, who was a U.S. Army captain, didn't survive. Carter's doctors tell him he should be able to walk again, but it's going to take time. So right now, Carter says his main focus is his recovery. Someday he wants to devote his life to helping others, just like Angel Santiago, another survivor we had talked about, who was inspired to go to nursing school because of the care he received at Florida Hospital Orlando. You shared that with us earlier. It was quite a story, as is this. Yeah, Carter's going to be in New York City for today's Pulse anniversary. He says the group Gays Against Guns invited him to an event there to recognize Pulse victims and survivors. One of the, uh, also there was a a parade float in the Boston's Gay Pride event over the weekend Mm -hmm. that was filled with Pulse survivors and it got the biggest applause out of any of the floats over the weekend. Wow. Yeah. My goodness. Deb, thank you. You're welcome. I do appreciate it. Special perspectives on the uh, one-year anniversary of the Pulse nightclub attack. And we'll get the perspectives of the Orlando Police Chief, John Mina, as he joins me live here in just a moment. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. And we have a very special guest with us this morning. We want to welcome once again to the 50,000-watt front porch on WFLA and Good Morning Orlando, Orlando Police Chief John Mina. Thank you for coming on this morning, sir. Good morning, bud. Happy to be here. Um, I, uh, I have to ask you, what are your thoughts as we, um, as we mark one year since the Pulse uh, nightclub massacre? I can only imagine what a very difficult day this is. It, it has uh, been a, a long year, and uh, the things that I think about today are uh, the families of the victims and the survivors, our heroism, bravery of our police officers and first responders, uh, the wonderful job um, the medical staff from all over Central Florida did uh, to save as many victims as they could, and then the way our community came together and united uh, in the days and weeks after that tragedy. How will uh, the Orlando Police Department and uh, you as chief be involved in these observances of the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre? Well, we have been uh, planning for all of the vigils uh, and remembrance ceremonies for at least six months. Uh, so we want people to know that there are plenty of police officers. Uh, they should feel safe. We we have uh, put measures in place to keep everyone safe, and uh, we will be at all of them. Um, you know, one keeping people safe and and protecting our community, but also uh, giving us time to reflect as well. Chief, can you um, can you take us back to one year ago? As painful as it is, I'm sure, on what that horrible night was like for you and your officers. Well, we were, uh, as you can imagine, extremely busy that night um for us uh those three hours uh were more like you know minutes and seconds uh things were happening uh very quickly officers were you know rescuing people all throughout the night uh and then you know the the moment it changed uh for us and we knew we had to act is uh when uh, we believed uh based on information inside that he was going to um you know, put bomb vests on four people, and uh, there was no way we were going to let him um, you know, blow that place up. Now, that turned out to be a bogus claim, but there was no way for you to know it at the time. Is that right, Chief? 
That's correct. Um, turned out to be totally false. But uh, remember, early in the night, our canine teams had made a positive indication for explosives in his vehicle. Uh, so we were very concerned about that. And um, there was mention from um, people from within side and uh, about explosives. He had also mentioned um, to our hostage negotiator uh, about you know blowing up the entire block. So that was on our mind uh, the entire night as we continued to to rescue people. Talking live with Orlando Police Chief John Mina on the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre. Chief, this came up earlier in the program, and I know you have addressed it in the past, but I told the caller who posed this question, I did not want to put words in your mouth. I would let you do that. The question, why did it take Orlando Police three hours to move in and take out Omar Mateen? Well, see, and that's the uh, one of the things that kind of that false narrative that was pushed out days afterwards. So within minutes... Uh, our officers were inside and actually, you know, forced him uh, to go back into the the back bathrooms. And um, therefore, when he did that, we were able to save all of the people who were um, injured on the dance floor, who were hiding behind bars, hiding uh, in other dressing rooms. So there was constant rescues going on throughout the night. Our officers were inside the whole time. We were um, literally feet away from him and you know, at the point that we were in there, the shooting had stopped. And if he had continued shooting, uh, we would have you know, made a very dangerous uh, rescue operation and, and went right to the bathroom uh, to basically end that. But since uh, we did have um, uh, the opportunity to rescue people in there and then um, also learned of all the explosives, we knew that, um, you know, an explosive breach on the outside wall would be uh, the safest for all involved. And so that's what we planned for. So while we were continuing to try and get him on the phone and, 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 and at times talking to him, that, that really bought us time to uh, plan that, that rescue operation, uh, to put everything we needed to put in place for that rescue operation. Now, before I let you go, a couple of more questions, Chief. Your thoughts, if you will, one year later on anything that you wish you had done differently that night? You know, and um, as we uh, travel throughout the country to you know, share our experiences with law enforcement, we, you know, we're, we're asked that question um, from law enforcement. We're asked uh, that question here in our community. And uh, me personally, uh, there there isn't anything I would have done differently or uh, directed my people to do. You know, it's easy to um, second guess, uh, but the the officers and commanders that were inside um, making decisions in real time, in my opinion, took the proper course of action. And, you know, no one more than us wishes that we could have saved every single life. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, most of the killing was done in the first two minutes. I think Orlando police and our police agencies in general in Central Florida do an extraordinary job, and we're very supportive of the work that you do. In what ways, though, do you think local police might be better prepared now in the wake of Pulse to handle a mass shooting like this in the future, if God forbid it should happen? Well, uh, luckily in Central Florida, uh, law enforcement is top-notch. We are uh, some of the most uh, well-trained, best-equipped, police agencies in the nation, in my opinion. I do think that uh, moving forward, 
we should be giving federal funding for for terrorism. And a perfect example is the Urban Area Security Initiative grant funding that we have been cut out of the past few years. And matter of fact, our ranking has dropped uh, from 34 to 38. So we're extremely upset about that. And we believe that our legislators need to get involved and, and help us get that funding. And that will provide uh, even more training, even more equipment for not only the Orlando Police Department, for all of the police agencies in in this area. And as you know, with 68 million visitors, you know, multiple theme parks and different venues, uh, we need that funding. I want to thank you so much, Orlando Police Chief John Mina, for coming on here on our special edition of Good Morning Orlando as we mark the first anniversary of the Pulse nightclub attack. God bless you and all the men and women of the Orlando Police Department. Thank you. That means a lot to us. Thank you, Chief Mina. In a moment, the 49 victims of the Pulse nightclub mass shooting. In a moment. That in Orlando's news, weather, and traffic. Updated as well, a final time here in just two minutes on News Radio 1025 WFLA. This is a special edition of Good Morning Orlando, Remembering Pulse. Gaffey, it all comes flooding back, doesn't it? One year seems like five minutes ago. And when we heard the jarring words of Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer at the top of all three hours here today, well, we'll never forget how it took our breath away when we suddenly realized, oh, my goodness, it's not 10 or 20. It is 50 lives lost. I remember watching it live, and I gasped just like everyone else. Oh, absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah, and we were on for hour after hour with special coverage on that nightmarish day. And then later on, it took a while to know the identities of the 49 who were lost. And we just didn't want to go with 49 dead. These were 49 individuals with lives, with families, with loved ones, with careers, anticipating a future that was not to be at the hands of this radical Islamic terrorist who came into the Pulse nightclub and snuffed out as many lives as he could. And so when we knew the names of the 49, Deb and I sat down, and with Yaffe in the control room, we recorded in sequence all 49 names. And we thought we would close now this special edition on the first anniversary of the uh, Pulse Nightclub Massacre, the special edition of Good Morning Orlando, by replaying that for you. And here now, the 49 names, all the lives lost in the Pulse Nightclub Massacre. Stanley Amoldovar III. 23 years old. Amanda Alviar, 25 years old. Oscar A. Aracena Montero, 26 years old. Rodolfo Ayala Ayala, 33 years old. Antonio Devon Brown, 29 years old. Daryl Roman Burt II, 29 years old. Angel Candelario Padro, 28 years old. Juan Chavez Martinez, 25 years old. Luis Daniel Conde, 39 years old. Corey James Connell, 21 years old. Tevin Eugene Crosby, 25 years old. 
Bianca Deidre Drayton, 32 years old. Simon Adrian Carrillo Fernandez, 31 years old. Leroy Valentin Fernandez, 25 years old. Mercedes Marisol Flores, 26 years old. Peter O. Gonzalez Cruz, 22 years old. Juan Ramon Guerro, 22 years old. Paul Terrell Henry, 41 years old. Frank Hernandez, 27 years old. Miguel Angel Honorato, 30 years old. Javier Jorge Reyes, 40 years old. Jason Benjamin Josephat, 19 years old. Eddie Jamaldroy Justice, 30 years old. Anthony Luis Lorianda 25 years old. Christopher Andrew Leonin, 32 years old. Alejandro Barrios Martinez, 21 years old. Brenda Lee Marquez McCool, 49 years old. Gilberto Ramon Silva Menendez, 25 years old. Kimberly Morris, 37 years old. Akira Monet Murray, 18 years old. Luis Omar Ocasio Capo, 20 years old. Geraldo A. Ortiz Jimenez, 25 years old. Eric Ivan Ortiz Rivera, 36 years old. Joel Rayon Paniagua, 32 years old. Giancarlos Mendez Perez, 35 years old. Enrique L. Rios Jr., 25 years old. Jean C. Neves Rodriguez, 27 years old. Xavier Emmanuel Serrano Rosato, 35 years old. Christopher Joseph Sanfeliz, 24 years old. Yomari Rodriguez Sullivan, 24 years old. Edward Sotomayor Jr., 34 years old. Shane Evan Tomlinson, 33 years old. Martin Benitez Torres, 33 years old. Jonathan Antonio Camuy Vega, 24 years old. Juan P. Rivera Velasquez, 37 years old. Luis S. Vielma, 22 years old. Frankie Jimmy De Jesus Velasquez, 50 years old. Luis Daniel Wilson Leon, 37 years old. Gerald Arthur Wright, 31 years old. Our special tribute recorded one year ago when we knew the identities of the 49 who lost their lives. Um, And now one year later, it's overwhelming, isn't it, to think of how many young people whose lives were snuffed out so early. May God rest their souls and keep them for all eternity. And may God bless all those they left behind. And may God bless and heal this great city of Orlando we love so very much. That's our special edition of Good Morning Orlando.
Thank you. God bless you and God bless America.